0: Welcome everyone to the Nick's Infinite Playlist podcast, a show where we always talk about something because something's always on. I'm your host, Nick Hogan, and with me this week is a very special guest, Adam Davis. Adam, introduce yourself to the people.
1: Hello, people. Yes, I am Adam Davis, like you said. Um, I'm a very tired Adam Davis. We just came <laughs> out, of, uh, out of theater season in my house, so mm-hmm. we, uh, my wife is the... Uh, the director for the drama club, the local high school drama club here and state conference was this weekend. So we've been basically in theater mode since August. Um, and our kids were fortunate enough to place and uh, compete at state. So they, uh, they just wrapped the show that they first rehearsed in September, like September 3rd or something mm-hmm. um, Saturday. So we've been rehearsing for five months. And it's been- <laughs> wow. So yeah, I'm very very tired. If you want to talk about theater, I've got all kinds of stuff, but I, my brain's pudding. Other than that,
0: oh yeah. Well, you know, I was just telling Adam before we started this recording, I um, got off track with the podcast last year because I got an opportunity to direct a play, and it all came together really fast. And I did that, and then my wife went into Nutcracker, and that pretty much brings me to 2020. So um, theater has ruled my life for a while too, and I'm I'm now. Uh, vice president of our local theater company and in charge with choosing the season for 2021. So if you happen to be listening and interested in directing a play in 2021 in Columbus, Indiana, uh, give me a call. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> so what's been going on? Um, nothing, everything, all <laughs> yeah. the things I, I don't even know at this point. We, uh, you know, we were just so busy with, everything like we just finished theater like i said mm-hmm. and the day we were performing they were picking up my daughter's girl scout cookies so girl scout cookies <laughs> just started whoo yeah. yeah all right so we i spent about an hour out with them today selling girl scout cookies door to door nice uh well so, you, know, you and i had a little bit of a, a back and forth on uh twitter regarding girl scout cookies so <laughs> yeah yeah well, i mean that the better i guess but yeah
0: that's uh, we can agree to disagree uh, but it, it's uh, there's no there's only one girl scout cookie that i can eat an entire sleeve of
1: in a sitting without even thinking and it's thin mints so yeah, see for me it's got to be the tray full. it's got to be frozen uh, all i'm saying is jason momoa eats his girl scout cookies the same way he's a big fan of the tray full. And Jason Momoa can't be wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, you wouldn't want to disagree with him, that's for sure. Right. Uh,
0: <laughs> he might pound you into the ground. Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm a Thin Mints guy, but I can appreciate some of the other kinds. My The kind my wife likes are the worst anyway. Um, the The ones with the coconut in them. Oh yeah, coconuts, bros. They're, they're terrible. Um, so no, anything is terrible. <laughs> nobody, nobody likes a worse one than that. Uh, <laughs> than my wife does. So, uh, but she doesn't really like thin mints. So I get them all to myself. Nice. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean we've seen. I assume that factored into the marriage plan. But... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. We buy two boxes. I get thin mints. She gets the coconut ones. Uh, <laughs> it works. That's what makes a successful marriage. Um, <laughs> yeah so a lot has happened um uh, you know we've talked about like the mlb sign stealing um that, that's just yeah. so what, crazy what a disaster, right I, yeah i mean and i'll have more mlb thoughts like later uh but just like the sheer chaos of like three teams now don't have a manager in january like, right what the heck
1: yeah, you know, like pitchers report in like twenty six days or something. Like I don't even know the numbers right now, but it's it's soon, and we have three teams without a head coach. One got hired and never coached a game and is already out. Oh my before, gosh! Before Carlos Beltran, which really it was the Mets, so we kind of dodged a bullet, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's I mean a, this way. You know, it's not like he did a year and was terrible and his head is on a pike because the Mets fans called for it. It's right. just like, well, it's going to be a distraction. So, uh, you know, I'm out early. But it, it, Carlos Beltran may be the biggest beneficiary of that. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, like, you know, the Alex Cora and AJ Hinch had mostly winning teams and then
1: they're both out on their butts. Um, right, and it's, it's so sad to see, especially, like, for Houston itself, because there's so much talent on that team. Mm-hmm. Why? Like, why go through the headache of stealing signs, and I don't know. I don't get it.
0: Yeah, I don't either, And and, like, I mean, they had Garrett Cole, and he – he's not the kind of guy that would benefit from having the other team sign. So, like, um, you know, he dominates, and then it's just like they don't have enough faith in their offense to – it's it's sad
1: right. to me. Um, and I, you've got a player like Jose Altuve, who is the most – like, I'm not an Astros fan. I'm a Royals fan. So, like, direct competition. But Altuve is so much fun to watch because he's just – he's so dynamic. Mm-hmm. And now he's wrapped up in this. and. At this point, I mean, it's like Barry Bonds and the steroids thing. He'll never be able to separate himself from it, I don't think. And, it, you know, what's that going to do to what would be a Hall of Fame career? Yeah.
0: And, I I mean, everybody's going to be tainted. And they're also, um, you know, they're not going to have any trade value in the short term. You know, if if, uh, the Astros had tried to tear things down before – this all happened, then they might've gotten some return and been able to turn it around in two or three years. But instead you're approaching the end of control of like George Springer and right. uh, um, Correa and some of these guys that are becoming big names. And it's just like, you won't be able to trade them for any, you'll be get, you'll get a uh, what the reds got for a role as Chapman kind of return, which is not good. Right. Um, and, yeah. And those guys would be lucky to
1: sign anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's and really going to be Houston's, gonna, Houston's not going to be able to keep them. Right. Cause they're going to be looking, they're going for a contract. They're going to have to cut them loose. Like they're not going to be able to afford right. it. So mm-hmm. then these guys are going to be free agents, not playing ball anywhere because mm-hmm. nobody wants to go near that.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's um, I think, so the word on the street is now and this just broke today or it's, it's not really news news yet, but it's uh, heavily hinted at rumor that dusty Baker is going to take over the Astros and like as a reds fan i'm like huh, good luck um <laughs> but let me know how that turns out yeah in in uh but i also think that on the astros part it's a little bit brilliant because the guy is just like could not be more like vanilla rule following old school right and so like if there's one chance that all of these players and the astros have in the longer term it's to fall in line behind dusty baker
1: Right. Um, it's your so, car to the Dusty Baker wagon or horse. and
0: Right. Yeah. And if they play well under Dusty Baker and they have a good year and there's no funny business, they might have a chance at continuing their careers. Right.
1: But speaking, speaking of continued careers, can can we talk for just a minute about uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we, we were pretty, uh, vocal, I think, about how we felt about the end of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently Lucasfilm, also very vocal. <laughs> they're out. They're like, yep, Benioff, Weiss, see ya. We, uh, we we already made three bad Star Wars movies. We don't need you helping out, right? Yeah. So, so the thing about
0: Benioff and Weiss that I didn't realize is that I guess they just, like, they just kind of, like, flew blind into Game of Thrones. Like, they're not really experienced creators they they're they've done almost nothing before
1: game of thrones um which works out sometimes you i mean sometimes that's what you need is a fresh set of you know creators making something but oh yeah
0: for sure but and it's also like i've also noticed this trend with lucasfilm where you know like if there's something that goes in the public eye that goes poorly you're not going to get to direct a star wars movie <laughs> right like like colin Trevorrow is is the one that comes to mind before um before benioff and weiss is that you know the second Tragic world movie tanked and then Trevorrow's out as director of the third star wars and and i don't think Trevorrow's a bad director but uh it was just like they're they're just like heavily trying to control the outcomes related to star Wars.
1: Right. They don't want to make it any easier for star Wars fans to be disappointed because as star Wars fans, like they're just going to be disappointed no matter what you put in front of them. Right. Uh, with maybe one exception that we'll get to later. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no matter what you do, you're not going to, there's a, there's a no win situation directing a star Wars movie. Uh. Um, and I think they're trying to, trying to take people out of the equation that are going to be playing from behind anyway, I guess, is a way to put that. Yeah. Uh, So that way there's at least some chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, it's um, I've noticed that trend and it's,
0: it's happened in some of the other Disney properties I feel like, but maybe not as uh, publicly as with star Wars. Right. So, um, you know, I'm not. I can't say that I'm sad about it, but uh, I'm still hopeful that Ryan Johnson will get to do his.
1: Right, uh, and that's the thing is I think there's still a lot of good things on the horizon for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we'll we'll touch on that later. Right. Uh, but I, I I think as far as you know, Off and Weiss specifically, um, I think it's I think it's good for both parties to just not to distance each themselves from each other and just not be, not be involved for right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. Um, you know, who knows what they'll get to do next, but uh, I'm sure they'll come out of it eventually. And uh, cause there's such a glut of properties out there to, to screw up. So right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure they'll get a chance to screw something else up. Yeah. And they've I,
1: got, they've got some kind of deal with, uh, Netflix, Netflix, maybe that's what I, I was. I was leaning toward Netflix, but I did not feel good about it when I went to say it. Yeah. I think it is Netflix.
0: Cause that's, that's the, they just, um, they're throwing money at creators. Like it's nobody's business. Yeah. Right, they've already poached like Shonda Rhimes and yeah, they've poached Shonda Rhimes and Ryan Murphy and, and, um, several of the several other creators that are well known for multiple properties. Um, So, you know, that's, that's not entirely surprising. So I'm sure that before long they'll have some B movie fair of some kind on Netflix.
1: Right. I, I look forward to it. Something I can watch in a weekend and then, you know, yeah. not be disappointed about it for 10 years.
0: Right. Just, just disappointed about it for a couple of days and then you start your other thing. Right. <laughs> so uh, anything else you want to hit before we roll into our current topics?
1: Um, I did want to circle back on. So last time we talked during the infinite playlist part, um, you recommended the film always be my maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I shortly after we recorded, I went back and I did watch that and I've got to say, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it, it was really well made. I mean, it's not like the greatest film ever made or anything,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: it was a it was a fun little film to get through. If you haven't checked it out, I do recommend it.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I like that it's. Um, it seems to be a pretty fresh take on the on the rom com, and there there's still tropes within it, but uh, right and you know the um, Asian leads and Keanu Reeves. Yeah, uh, it's you know it's it's one of the better ones that I've watched in the last uh 20 years or so so <laughs> right, if you're gonna watch a romantic comedy it, it might as well have ali wong in it exactly and and Randall park i think is fantastic yes um, asian jim uh, <laughs> so you know I, I just think that um yeah i i still recommend it i still stand that movie so yep. <laughs> you glad the, you uh, liked it
1: yeah it was uh it was good and i watched that in another netflix original that same day um, Rim of the World, okay. which is kind of like a campy sci-fi flick. With, it's like these four kids that are at summer camp and mm-hmm. the world starts to end and like these aliens attack and they have to save the world. And yeah, like the only person who can save it is out in orbit and they crash at their summer camp. Like it's, it's really silly, um, but it's <laughs> a lot of fun. Um, but an interesting thing that just kind of the world working the way it works, uh, there is a young lady in that film named Mia Sesh. Uh-huh. something like that yeah she plays Ali Wong's younger self at the beginning of Always Be My Maybe <laughs> um, and remember her name is all I'm saying because she is going to be something uh, the kid can act that's awesome. for sure um, so definitely you know if you haven't checked out Rim of the World or Always Be My Maybe keep an eye out for her um, She's she's going to be something special
0: yeah, uh, Rim of the World is on my Netflix queue, so I'm gonna have to uh get on that and maybe do a segment on a future podcast. But uh, I love discovering actresses like that too, I just think that um, the young actresses who are a big deal that's uh, that's awesome. So great. Um, all right, you ready to roll into some uh, current topics? Uh, I believe so. Okay um so first up is walking dead we've got walking dead season 10b premiere in a couple of weeks oh already (laughs) i know it's uh you know october and february every year and um it just kind of sneaks up on us yes February, um,
1: february is the one that gets me every time
0: yeah and and february is we're recording this at the very end of january so february starts this weekend Oh, God. Uh, and so I'm Walking Dead is right after the, there's the Super Bowl and then there's Walking Dead um, oh. and that's become
1: tradition. The Super Bowl actually like give me two seconds to just shout out my Kansas City Chiefs oh, like,
2: yeah,
1: they're finally it took them 50 years but they're heading back to the <laughs> Super Bowl so I'm, I'm really pumped about that I, uh, Sunday night if you guys are Super Bowl Sunday follow me on Twitter I will be live tweeting and drinking and if it's not going well, I might get really mad. <laughs> um, something to be, something to keep you entertained. Yeah, you know, keep you bored Sunday.
0: Yeah. So, um, congratulations! And I don't want to talk about the Colts, so we're gonna keep going right. The Walking yeah. Dead. Walking Dead. So, that's the Colts. The Walking Dead. So, what do you got? What are your thoughts? What are you thinking?
1: Oh, oh man, The Walking Dead. I'm. <laughs> I'm trying so hard to understand what is happening in the walking dead universe. (laughs) Uh, I, we can come back and talk about the new show and fear and the walking dead movies here in just a minute. But for the, you know, the pilot show, Mm. there's so much happening on the walking dead and nothing is happening. Like we are just (laughs) spinning our wheels. Yeah in these like nine or ten different stories that none of them involve characters that we're super invested in. Because I don't yeah. know that we're super invested in anybody. Like, I'm it's, not at least. It's getting increasingly difficult to be invested in them. Yeah. And part of it, I think, is the storytelling. Like, mm. so I, I've, I've been thinking about it a lot because I'm trying to find a way to get my... to to just summon up the energy to watch season 10 B of the walking dead. Mm. Um, And part of it is, I wonder the storytelling. I think they're trying to tell more like human stories, which Mm. is fine. We want the stories to be believable, but we've kind of gotten away from what, what I've called like the gotcha storytelling where they're doing things that I'm not expecting or they're, there's kind of a hook or whatever that doesn't play out the way we think it's going to. Mm-hmm. We're not getting any of that anymore. Like with, like with Sadiq and Dante from the last two episodes. Yeah. Like when Dante shows up at the beginning of season 10, it's really clear to everybody that he is a whisperer. Yeah. And and maybe that was just like, I, I just pegged it really early, but I felt like they did a really good job of letting us know this guy is not on the up and up. Right. So the whole time we're just waiting for him to turn and we know like two episodes in that Sadiq's gonna be the one that has to take that bullet. Mm-hmm. And I already know it. Then we're gonna wait and in episode eight pay it off and be like, oh see see what we did with the story? And like yeah we we knew that already. Like we're not interested anymore. We, yeah. If you've done it in episode three, it might've still gotten us, but now like we, we've been watching it for five weeks. Right. So I don't, and that's just my take on the way they're telling these stories and the way they're doing it. I just don't know that. I don't know that they're invested in tricking the audience or captivating the audience. I think they want to tell a really human story about how Sadiq is traumatized by, you know, what happened and all of that. Right. But, we've already seen that and it, it didn't pay off, I guess, is what I'm, what I'm getting at with that particular storyline. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, for one, I think that, um, that
0: they're trying to do that human story across the, the walking dead universe just in general. Um, Cause I felt like that was a focus of fears most recent season. And so like, and actually for the most part, I really enjoyed Fear's most recent season, and that that is not a common viewpoint. <laughs> um, but I think that their their character work over the last year has been really strong, and so. But part of it is that they're the characters that are there, are compelling characters, and so like that's part of the issue for me with The Walking Dead is that like we know Michonne's leaving, and I was like, and I've always loved Daryl, but he doesn't strike me as a
1: complex character. Um. <sighs> And then, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say in, with like Daryl, like he's not a complex character. He's never been a complex character, and he's got so much going on mm-hmm. between the trying to help raise Lydia and fighting with Carol and this platonic relationship, weird brother sister thing they have going on, and then he's got the Connie story where mm-hmm. he's got a love interest after 10 seasons and people like banging down the doors at the walking dead offices, like get Daryl someone to love. (laughs) Um, And it's all, this is happening, but none of it's happening consistently. Yeah. And it's it's just all muddled up for me.
0: Yeah. And I I think, so, you know, Michonne's leaving, Maggie's gone, Rick's gone. Um, You know, Daryl's not, you know, I'm interested in Daryl, but not he's not the most compelling character by any stretch of the imagination. And they've, they've sprinkled in some characters that I still care about. Like um, Eugene. I really feel for Eugene. And um, I love Negan. And like, right. I, I shouldn't, but I do. Um, and like, I think, do. I think that Alpha and Beta's backstory is really compelling. And that the whispers are one of the better things plot wise to happen to the show in a while, um, but so so by and large, like Sadiq, I didn't really care <laughs> about Sadiq.
1: Um, like, oh, Sadiq's dead. What else yeah. is on?
0: <laughs> and like, I like Rosita. She's been with them a while, and so I think I just they've the cast has turned over a lot more quickly over the last couple of years, and that's been hard just as a fan for me to follow um, that's fair. and there, there have been moments in season 10 that I've, I've really enjoyed, um, you know, because I feel like the, what I enjoyed about the walking dead early on was that just like genuine hour long dread that any of your fa- favorite characters could be killed at any second. Right. I, and so like, it, when I care about the characters that's back. So like with the whispers around and me carrying, ab- carrying about, Negan um uh, and some of the characters that I do care about like I really do feel that again but the issue is there's I don't care about Sadiq or Dante in the slightest and <laughs> and so like and 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 you know like I didn't immediately think that Dante was a traitor and um and so there and there's really flashes of greatness in that story too because when he said like um people somebody said maybe it was the actor after the fact he said i really think that dante was open to a better way of life and uh-huh. i i got that like that i com- that
1: was communicated to me through the portrayal and and that's fair and i think the actor who played dante was fantastic oh yeah absolutely um i just from from a storytelling perspective, like I knew Dante was going to have to be a bad guy because because there was no other there was no other conflict.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like there was a bunch of different stuff going on, but right. as far as an external threat to to our group, like there were the the threats that they made themselves, where they're sneaking across the line or they're doing whatever else. But as far as you know, the Whisperers are on the attack and they have been from day one. So that there has to be something there. And just the timing of when Dante shows up, like I just, I don't know. I had it figured out by episode one. First time he shows up, I turned to my wife and said, he's a bad guy. We know that, right? (laughs) Like I
2: guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I,
0: I was actually like, I was disappointed by that mostly because I was like, it's too obvious. Like, why well, <laughs> well, right. can't, you know, I think it would have been more compelling if if the Alexandrians had suspected him of being a traitor, but he
1: wasn't. Right. Um, well, they suspected him and then they talked themselves out of it and then he was. Like, I could behind right. that storyline.
0: Right. But then it was oh. just like the buildup with Sadiq was way too slow. Right. And it just, you know, they're, they're experts at spinning their wheels by now. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what, like, I really enjoyed fears character work for all of their most recent season. And then the last two episodes were just like, everything happened and nothing happened in two episodes. <laughs> and it was just like, what, what was the point of all of this? Um, so they're like, you, you enjoyed our character work so much. We're going to do it again next season. Um, Here we go again. But, Please. but fear, they, they revamped the cast and they've got, they've got Morgan at the head, but then also Alicia and John Dory and June and some of these other characters that they have are really interesting and compelling characters. right? And so like that, the character work on that show is working and it's, you know, it's coming to terms with their existence in the apocalypse.
1: Yeah. And I guess, you know, if, if they pay us off in season 10 B, you know, I'll eat, I'll eat crow on that, but I just don't see how they're going to pay off all of this character work they're doing and get us to a point that I'm like, Oh, okay. I get why we got a whole alpha and beta origin story episode. Um, I get why we have, you know, Daryl doing three different things. Like all oh, those stories come to a head somehow mm-hmm. where he's got to choose between Connie and Carol or something. You know, I mean, I, I don't know right now. I just don't see where it's going, how we're going to get the narrative refocused. Right. Uh, but, you know, obviously they're the professionals and I'm, you know, just podcasting about it. So, you know, yeah. maybe, they'll, maybe they'll surprise me.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I always am optimistic when it comes to anything really. Uh, but I think maybe the, the more effective use of their 16 episode seasons would be to like uh, to tell a mostly complete story and just maybe like a cliffhanger of a different kind at the end of, you know, the, at the end of the run in November. And then when it comes back in February to start a new story arc right? Um, because right now they're trying to go
1: 16 episodes of the same story arc and it really just doesn't work that well right and like I mean we've got some cliffhangers we've got to resolve with the 10b premiere you know Daryl and his whole crew just fell in a hole full of walkers and Michonne's like trying to join the lonely island she's like I'm on a boat and they're
2: like (laughs) okay cool
1: (gasps) Uh, but I don't I mean I don't know. I don't know where we're going with it, I guess. And I I feel like there's a lot that they're going to have to do. There's a lot of groundwork they're going to have to do to get us caught up um, and get us in a spot where all this stuff pays off for, and for me. Yeah.
0: And, I, and I, I, they've done that before with, you know, one bananas episode towards the end of the year. Right. Uh, it's like, that's not unheard of, but it's also just like... Come on, just tell your stories honestly, and you could cover more ground. And and uh, you know, <laughs> um I just feel like if they had just gone straight into, you know, okay, this feels like a natural place to go. Right after this, if they if they react to their circumstances honestly, then it would go faster. <laughs> but they're just trying to draw it out because they're like, oh well, we want to get to the season finale where Niki betrays Alpha. <laughs>
1: Right, Negan so, betrays Alpha, or of, whatever's going to happen with Michonne happens, because like we all know, right? He's leaving the show, which is a whole nother set of problems for The Walking Dead that they've had for years.
0: Yeah, um, where they we know these
1: people are leaving, so
0: yeah, they could now. easily have Negan betray Alpha in the penultimate, and then Michonne leave, and that and that kind of like leaves Negan in, um, in charge. Right. Know, as the new leader, uh, cause, I mean because you know he 's awful from before, but he 's the most compelling character
1: right so, can, like, have, they, have they done the groundwork have they laid the groundwork and done the character development where we as an audience can buy into Negan being a good guy? can he be our hero after what he did to Glenn, after what he did to Abraham like, uh,
0: I think for the remaining audience, he can be. And it's mostly just because that I said that remaining audience because, um, you know, the people who stopped watching because of Glenn stopped watching long ago.
1: Right. Um, That's fair.
0: So I think that um, there, there are a lot of little moments that will culminate in that or pay off in that. And they're also, you know, they're also working on bringing Maggie back. And so that could just be a... A point of conflict like you know we need a warrior to lead us and Negan's got it and so like and all and all season long he saved Aaron and he went out in the snow after Judith and and has just kind of done done these things to say you know um I've changed and then it'll really culminate in his you know, it, and this is, I'm not spoiling anything. I don't know anything, but this, the comic book storyline is Negan goes, pretends to be a Whisperer, gets in good
1: with them, and then kills Alpha. Right. Um, so, it, and I, they I deviated quite a bit from some of the other, um, the other Whisperer storylines. So I don't, we don't, I don't know that that's necessarily what we're going to see. Um, but I could definitely see it going that direction.
0: Yeah. I think in this case, I just have a feeling it's going to be ripped straight from the comics, Negan's going to betray Alpha and bring her head on a pike to Alexandria and say, look, I'm on your side. Right. I can and, definitely see that. And then, you know, maybe not from Maggie or Michonne, but largely he's going to get buy-in from the community after that. Right. Because other major detractors like Aaron, Aaron, has already had his his butt saved by Negan earlier in the season, right? They've already had that turnaround on the character. They're just they're spending an awful lot of time setting up dominoes, right? <laughs> and so it's just like, and then they're just gonna like flick them, you know? <laughs>
1: and, and and that's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping. Ten A has been has been all these little things that are going on that I I can't make sense of are setting up for some real big like gotcha, but mm-hmm. I just don't know. I just don't see where it's going. And I don't know if I'm invested enough in the story right now to follow all the little things I'm going to need to follow to whenever they start knocking those dominoes down. I realize there was a domino there in the first place. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So.
0: Well, there's a lot.
1: There's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) Um, So one more thing on Michonne. So like we were talking earlier about, you know, how, like we kind of knew Dante was a bad guy. We kind of saw that coming.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We know Denai Guerrero is leaving the show. Right. We don't necessarily know how she's going to be leaving the show. If she's going to trade places with Maggie and go off to the, whatever it is, the other Mm -hmm. thing where Maggie is, um, or if she's going to go off looking for Rick or if she's going to get killed or what the situation's going to be. But we know she's leaving the show. Do we have to immediately suspect this guy that she just got on the boat with is a bad guy or is going to somehow tie into that? Like, do we do we have to assume that or where are you with this guy? Because I, I don't know how to feel about it.
0: Uh, I don't know that we have to assume that. I think that there's just as much reason that she'll, I mean, just as much to be- reason to believe that she'll come back and, you know, have a goodbye with her friends. Um, so I, I don't know that for sure. And I think that that's, you know, um, it's actually kind of emboldening them to be more bold in Michonne's storytelling specifically. Uh, just because they feel like, well, she's got to go. So we got to do all these other things in the interim. Right. So it almost seems like, yeah, we're going to pull them in this direction and that direction. And, and the fans aren't going to know what's going to happen to her until it happens. And, you know, um, because who really knows? I mean, she could hop a helicopter and go be with Rick and be in the movies.
1: Right. Uh, If, if, If that's the case, do we lose Judith and RJ too? Or does she leave them behind?
0: I don't think that we do, Um, but maybe even just because Judith is like, "No, I'm needed here," or um, some, and maybe maybe she hops the helicopter from the island, so she doesn't see her friends again. Like I don't know, you know, Rick, the bridge blew up. He woke up. He gets. He's in a helicopter. Nobody knows he's alive. Even right. Right,
1: and and I get why why they're. You know, they don't know that he's out there, so they've kind of stopped looking or whatever,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: he knows they're still out there. I just yeah. can't see how Rick doesn't go running back to them or trying to get back to them. like they have to have a really compelling reason to keep him there, wherever he is. right. Um, I guess we'll find out if we ever get the movies. Yeah, which yeah. I, I, I did you see the interview with Scott Gimple between Scott Gimple and Dalton Ross? No, okay. Um, it's a disaster. So I I will, I'll tweet it out here in a couple of days or I'll tweet it out today, maybe even, and, uh, it'll be in my timeline, but Dalton Ross interviewed Scott Gimple about the movies and it almost read like Scott Gimple was trying to do like a, a Donald Trump impression where he was like, Oh yeah, we've got, we've got a really great team on it and it's going to be great. And we've got a lot of really good, things that are happening and mm. like so so you've got a script and you've got like a director and stuff and Scott kind like uh no but we've we got really good <laughs> ideas for a script but we just don't have a script yet but or, or <laughs> so, like they're they're like so far in pre-production on these movies that they don't even know what they're doing
0: oh
1: and my gosh as a walking dead fan it's really disconcerting um to read that it like i and that may be why i'm so so jaded on the whole thing, mm-hmm. not, not to be confused with being jaded on the whole thing. Cause <laughs> that's a but whole bunch it... of <laughs> problems. <laughs> uh, but it's—I'll tweet it out. But it's—it's it's really depressing seeing how far, how far I assumed they were on the films and the production and all of that, and seeing where they're at as of like two weeks ago. Um, we we may not see the rick grimes movies ever (laughs) yeah my my genuine concern i wouldn't be shocked by that right um
0: but you know whatever uh
1: (laughs) that's fine (laughs) um (laughs) That's that's just that's just one more thing right
0: does the world really need more walking dead
1: um well we already got this new show coming and i'm i don't know we'll see I have high yep. hopes for it because I think I think what they're trying to do with it is an interesting way to approach an apocalypse show by setting it after the apocalypse,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, when things have kind of gotten themselves cleaned up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, execution has not been a strength of The Walking Dead, so we'll see.
0: Yeah, well, I mean it's it's kind of it'll be interesting to have there before, during, and after. Um, shows going all at the same time too or you know fear started before and then Walking Dead started during and then this new show is going to be after Um, but it's um, it remains to be seen because I see flashes of greatness in their storytelling ability and then it's just like oh come on what are you doing the rest of the time Right. so I don't know we'll see um yeah. but anything else on Walking Dead?
1: Um no. I think we've uh, <laughs> Yeah. We've said, no, I do have I do have one more real quick thing on The Walking Dead. So okay. we talked about the comics and separating from the Whisper story and all that. Mm-hmm. So in the comic books, um the Whisperers when they're putting heads on spikes, they're doing the heads on spikes thing, they uh one of the people that gets their head put on a spike is Ezekiel in the gap. We, we didn't get that here, uh, which is probably a good thing. You know, Ezekiel is a character that people really like and you don't necessarily want to see him go out that way. It'd be really hard to write that in. Like how do you take a strong guy like that and get his head off? Right. Um, But now like we've seen Ezekiel like three times in this whole half of the season and the whole story has been Ezekiel has thyroid cancer and is going to die that way. Mm -hmm. Like, why didn't we just put his head on a spike and get the impact of that moment where it pans to his head on a spike instead of having to go through this, what I assume is going to take the whole season of like five minutes at a time, killing him off that way. Uh, I just don't, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like they they missed the boat and then they're like oh well we really do need to kill him though so let's do this
0: yeah um like you're right it doesn't make any sense <laughs> um so yeah i don't claim to know what they were thinking i i was gonna say that the heads on spikes moment was one of those like oh my gosh, this show might be good again, moments for me. Right, um, I felt really good coming out of season nine. Yeah. Um, and that's, I was like, part of why I watched season 10 so religiously was because I was like, oh, that was awesome. Uh, that was very like Sophia out of the barn kind of of shocking, you know? Right. Um, and so I was really pumped about that. Even though, And I was like, I just assumed that Ezekiel was going to be one of their more central characters going forward without rick and that's why they didn't kill him in that situation but like to just there's got to be more to it than that right like there's got to be some kind of arc before
1: he actually kicks it right otherwise
0: it's just like what was the point and that's right. so
1: unless, unless like they're looking for a doctor now because sadiq's gone and they're gonna run into like some surgical oncologist or something right <laughs> I, I don't i don't know yeah and I, and I mean maybe and it's it could be that
0: it's not what he thinks it is um right. he just assumes it's thyroid cancer but he doesn't know for sure and there's no doctor to confirm it um but so there's got to be something that adds meat to that adds weight to it or it's just like what was the point like why not put his head on the spike instead of you know somebody put it that didn't on a care spike. About oh my
1: god dreadlocks on a spike and then you know we're done but- I, I just thought it was interesting that we we didn't get that moment, and then we've gotten nothing else since
0: then. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm I uh, I'm assuming that there's gonna be a payoff, but it's just like with The Walking Dead. It's like either happens right away or it doesn't happen for like two years. Um, right. <laughs> you know, like it'll be like Merle, where it just he just resurfaces after a whole two years gone, and and uh, is on the show. So <laughs> yeah, that's there. Um so I don't know, we'll see, but I I'm not it, it is strange. I agree with you. I knew exactly where you were going before you even said it. <laughs> um yeah, so uh,
1: got any other thoughts on that? Anything? I I do not. That's that's what I have on the walking dead. It'll be interesting okay. to see the the longevity of it where they're going with it. And you know with the comics being over, how how much more shelf life does the story have
0: right it's a good question um another good question is how did you like the mandalorian
1: oh my god so (laughs) we talked about how star wars fans kind of universally hate everything yeah i've not heard one person say one bad thing about the mandalorian and that's because it's perfect
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's pretty
1: stinking close (laughs) it's i mean it's really really good and like the cat i mean everything from the cast to the story to just the way the episodes are constructed like disney's got something good here let's not mess it up okay that's disney if if somebody from disney is listening don't screw this up for me okay this Mm -hmm. is what i need right now
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I, i think that um John Favreau was exactly the right person to tackle it because he is so familiar with the way that Disney operates. You know, there's been a lot of turmoil with directors not being able to work with Disney. You know, Scott Derrickson just walked away from the Dr. Strange sequel. And there was that, all of that with Edgar Wright after Ant-Man. Right. Um, And so there's, there's Disney's notorious for not being able to work with directors, but john favreau has done the jungle book the lion king iron man like he's he's done a little bit of all
1: of it right and he's so, been involved with them he he's he's in bed with disney at this point and knows what what needs to be done
0: right and so going in he knows what the expectations are and so he's not spending all his time fighting them and then the show turns out to be patchwork you know, right. Disney saying, well, we
1: didn't want that or we didn't want this because he knows what they're going to say. And how much of the Mandalorian success, like, and I'm just now thinking through this, is less about he's worked with Disney before, but Disney's worked with him before and it's kind of letting him do what he wants to do. Yeah. Maybe I they're just putting their trust in him and it, it, may be, it may be a two-way street here, but I had not considered it that way until right now.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that's that very well could be. Um, it's very, very possible that they're just saying, okay, you know, um, you've brought in and you've made us a billion dollars at the box office, do whatever you want. Right. Um, You know, just, and they'll just say, here's your timeline to work with and don't touch these characters and go for it. Right. Um, So, I mean, I, I think that he could even, that would, I think that'll really be illustrated by where season two goes. Is if it, you know, if they try to control it more or if they're, if it, you know, if it goes really well, then I think that that's him creating and not uh, kowtowing to uh,
1: the mouse gods. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he doesn't have a musketeer with a knife at his throat saying, listen, <laughs>
0: uh, we're doing it this way now. oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And some of the stuff they do is so good, and some of it's just I can't believe they die on those hills. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just I I couldn't really find anything wrong with it. Um, you know, some of my friends who weren't Star Wars people said it was a little slow at the beginning, and that's that's the worst of it. And right. I was, and I could see that, but I and I was also I also just think that it's it's better when it gets going with the ensemble. And so, like, at the beginning, it's
1: just about Mando. Um, and, which I think we need. I think we need to find out where we are in the Star Wars universe. Absolutely.
0: Um, but then, like, as it goes along, you know, you introduce characters, and, and Mando has relationships that are built, and um, it becomes a much more compelling product as a whole. And so, like, I, I watched it week to week because I, couldn't contain myself um but my wife waited until they all came out and then binge watched the whole thing and i and i i think there's something to be said for how it reads that way because it it just really it really cooks when you watch it that way uh and you can finish it in an afternoon because the episodes aren't horrendously long right Um, you got a couple of
1: those episodes are 35 minutes 36 minutes something like that
0: yeah and i i noticed that you know, I said that the the beginning feels a little bit. You know, I can see the people's complaints that it's slow at the beginning, um, but also those episodes are a lot shorter.
1: Right, and uh, I think, but I think all that stuff you get at the beginning, they pay it off really well. <coughs> oh, absolutely. Huh. Yeah, and I'm I'm not complaining
0: about the beginning at all. The only complaint I've heard about the whole show from anyone, and that's it's mostly not Star Wars people who got bored in the first couple episodes. Right. And I, like, I don't agree, but I could see it. Right.
1: Um, You know, I I definitely see where they're coming from on that. Um, Especially the introduction of some of these characters, like uh, Nick Nolte's character, that whole episode. mm -hmm. There's some stuff in it that if you're not a star Wars person, you're like, okay, I do not care about what's happening here. Um, But as a star Wars fan, I'm looking at like, you know, the Mudhorn that he fights. Okay, we've seen this this before. Like, we've seen one of those before um, mm-hmm. in Attack of the Clones. And we've seen, you know, Jawas, obviously, in a dozen different places and Ugnaughts in Empire. So, like, there's all this stuff that's coming in from the Star Wars universe. It's kind of giving us a better picture of where we are and how this is all going to start piecing together. Yeah. Um, so, as a, as a non-Star Wars person, I could see I can see how a non-Star Wars person would be bored uh, getting there. Yeah. Knocked over my ear. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay. It happens.
0: Yes. We're back on track. We're good here. Cool. So, um, how does it fit into this larger Star Wars narrative?
1: So, oh, man. There's so many different things. Like, you get little throwbacks to, like, different things that you've seen before you see like Cara Dune's character Mm -hmm. is a rebel shock trooper who's probably got some connections to some characters that we know, but we don't, we don't know what those are yet. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that develops over the next, um, the next few seasons or whatever. And what Mm -hmm. more we could get out of that. Um, and, you know, I've not read a lot of the Disney Star Wars books, so I don't know if there's she's already present in that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think if she's not, she will be soon, um, that character specifically. But even a lot of the other, like, guest star characters, I think we're going to start seeing them tie into different pieces of um, the narrative, the overall Star Wars narrative, mm-hmm. uh, which would be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um... One of the things I thought was
0: interesting is that I've read the first two um, Aftermath novels, which is, which is intent. The intent of those is to bridge the gap between the return of the Jedi and the force awakens. And so, and it's about just like, it's kind of off in its corner of the star Wars universe. And it kind of sort of occasionally interacts with the star Wars characters that we know. Uh, like there, there's a, a short mission with Han and Chewie and, and the, the beginning of the first book has, a, has Wedge Antilles escaping from, from Empire custody and, and so but it's really about these other characters that were one of them is a former Imperial and one of them is with the Rebellion and they're kind of questioning their place in the world after the Empire falls and the Empire is trying to cling to power you know they're, they're denying that the Emperor is dead um, which, you know, uh, <laughs> funny, funny, they should mention that. Right. Um, <laughs> but, um, so, the, so there's, I really think that, that, that the Mandalorian really fits that well, just because there's a, you know, there's the former Imperial and the former rebel and their people were on different sides of the war and now they're on the same side. And there are people who are Imperials who still think that they're. Powerful and in charge, and like Giancarlo Esposito's character, right? Um, so I really I feel like that's at least uh, cohesive, comprehensive. Um, so I'm I'm kind of excited to to see more in that little corner.
1: Right, I agree, and I, that's the thing is I think we we've opened up the galaxy to have more of these little corners that are independent from the main narrative that just Mm. touch on it and i think that's a really good place to be with the star wars universe absolutely Um, just getting that opportunity to open things up like that and have all this different stuff i mean it makes it more more real i guess is what i'm looking for Mm -hmm. Um, just i guess like you said more more collaborative more you know i don't know i don't remember what the word was you used starts with a C it's a C word. cohesive that's the word
0: yeah, really the yeah. Word <laughs> there we go um yeah and I, I really think you know um Rogue One is one of my favorite Star Wars movies but also just movies right um and so I just think that the more that they do that the better off they'll be the more that they pick characters that we don't know that just happen to live in a familiar universe and tell new stories um, that's where their sweet spot's going to be because there's there's not a mountain of expectations as there are with skywalkers you know if you right. if you're telling stories about about skywalkers there are expectations that come with yeah. that but yeah. with people in mandalorian armor where you don't even see their face until the second to last episode it's not the case right
1: <laughs> now I, I don't know how far away we're going to get from the Skywalker story though, like really get away from it. Um, I I feel like the Mandalorian story is its own thing and it's set apart, but I've done some math. Me and a a guy I used to work with, we sat down and we did some math. (laughs) So baby Yoda, who we will call baby Yoda at this juncture, even though we know that's not his name, but what else are we going to call him?
0: The the child is his official name, but baby Yoda it's fine.
1: We know okay. he's not Yoda. Right. So, <laughs> so baby Yoda is 50 years old. That's what we, that's what they say at the beginning. Whenever they, they just, all it can tell you is his age. He's 50. That's mm-hmm. the, the target is 50. So, okay. 50 years old. I can live with that. From episode one to episode two, there's a 10 year break.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: From episode two to episode three, there's another three years, which brings us to 13 years total. And I'm not going to go through all of it, but between episodes one and episode six, we end up at 36 years. Add an additional five years to that, between episode six and The Mandalorian, we're at 41 years. Now that, okay. Why is that relevant? what you're asking right now, because math is fun. <laughs> 41 years prior to the start of The Mandalorian was the start of episode one, a time in which Anakin Skywalker was nine years old. Mm -hmm. If we add that nine years to the 41 years of Star Wars history we have,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: we end up with 50. Hmm. And Anakin Skywalker, as told to us by Schnee Skywalker in The Phantom Menace, does not have a father. He was born of the Force. Mm -hmm. Is the same true of Baby Yoda? I think there's a distinct possibility yeah are they the great cosmic yin and yang of a galaxy far far away uh yeah i think that
0: would be pretty cool Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and who really knows i mean like we we know that it's it's the same species as as yoda or we assume um, and and, we know
1: he is force sensitive the child right
0: yeah and um and force abilities can be passed through genetics too um, we know that much. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of interesting possibilities, but uh, you know, I, I hadn't considered that because I hadn't really done the math. Um, and I was like, I just wondered maybe if, if Yoda had gotten some little something, something on the side. Um, but because, <laughs> you know, first there was one other. It's member DG- of his uh, species. Yes, I won't say. <laughs> <laughs> There's one other member of his species uh, on the Jedi Council in episode one that we never see again. Yes. And so it's like, you know, I wonder if that she went into hiding to raise a child for a little while, but then... To, to have Yoda's six, love child? Yeah. Um,
1: but then Order 66 took her out. Uh, who knows? Yes. I'm. I, I'm on board with all of this. <laughs> any of this is possible for me. I just... Yeah. And I, I think, and... I, I think the numbers, numbers don't lie. Mm-hmm. And I think the numbers are going to get us back to the Skywalkers to some extent. Um, hopefully not for long. Hopefully this can stand on its own. Right. But I do think we're going to ha- if, if my theory is accurate and my math is good, I think there's, there's going to have to be something there to pay off. Right. So. I I
0: do think the best part about uh, baby Yoda is that the questions about where, who he is and where he came from are secondary. Um, That really that the most, that the function that he serves, uh, you know, he's, he saves Mando's butt more than once and um, grief cargas too. But um, you know, the, the best part about it is that he really is just like the driving force behind the, you know people being invested in the show you know every time that kid was in danger you're like on the edge of your seat right and so and it so it doesn't even the all of the the who is he and where did he come from is secondary to
1: um the hating on Jason Sudeikis for punching (laughs) right
0: (laughs) yeah or just you know being genuinely concerned for his welfare in every single episode right but you know, whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see it continued and not just because of
1: maybe Yoda. Right. Yeah. No, I, the storytelling is, is top notch the whole way through. Um, and I think the use of these guest stars and making each episode a little bit procedural, but ultimately moving this main narrative forward, mm-hmm. um, it kind of each episode standing on its own, I guess I should say it's not really procedural. It's more, you know, you could pick up any one episode of this and be able to watch it and enjoy it for what it is. Mm-hmm. But I, I yeah, think that's yeah. part of what makes it, you know, what it is as well. For sure, um, and I just want to before we move on, I
0: want I want to hit on these uh, this crazy list of guest stars. Um, because you mentioned Jason Sudeikis punching Baby Yoda, and um, that I was just like, I was blown away with the sheer volume of just actors I recognize. Um, and I thought the episode with Bill Burr and Natalia Tana and Clancy Brown was the best episode.
1: Oh yeah, um, by far the best episode. Cause, and it's largely in part to their performances.
0: Yeah, Natalia
1: Tena is amazing in Mm -hmm. episode six of the Mandalorian.
0: And I thought, um, I'm also really relieved that all those characters survived because I just, (laughs)
1: like I want (laughs) want them to come back next season. (laughs) We may never get them again, but the thought that we might be able to is enough for me. Like I can live with that.
0: Right. Well, it's like if the Mandalorian runs 10 seasons and it's just like, oh, it's like the, kind of like the lone gunman from the X-Files. It's just like, oh, they're back again. Um, (laughs) You know? So so that's kind of how I see it is that the potential for for an exciting uh return. But uh, they just did such a good job, even with the one off characters who died, like Ming Na Wen's character. Um Right. And how, how amazing was she? Oh and, she's so good. And I mean I've been following. She's good everything. Agent, but yeah, Agents of Shield, she's always been fantastic in. But um she just was so good in that role. uh and even they, they're not really guest stars but even carl weathers and nick nolte when people were like why did they cast carl weathers and nick nolte right. um, and they those two just shut them up yeah like they, they just showed up
1: and did their thing and everybody's like oh i love this right this um, is great warner herzog's in it like <laughs> you could just keep going and going and going brian pesane is in the first episode, oh yeah which and, I forget uh, about until i start listing people off well and the first tar- target is
0: um, horatio sands
1: yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> the first guy that mandalorian catches in the first scene is horatio sands um and so it's just oh, i love it i love the use of recognizable actors and i love that they all brought their a game to this because it's just right. um expanding universe in the ways that i really want it to is it- that bill burr is a hunter in the star wars
1: universes is, is uh calming to me right it really kind of just makes sense doesn't it <laughs> Like, of course he is. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
0: Anything else you want to add about The Mandalorian?
1: Um, the only other thing I want to touch on is how good is Pedro Pascal? So good. Um, so good. And I mean, I think we can both speak to it to some degree as actors, like having to do that without the use of facial expressions and really mm-hmm you can't do a whole lot of body language or anything because you're in full suit of armor all the time. and You got the helmet on all the time Um, to be able to convey what he does with just the way, what he's saying and the way he says it, it, it cannot be undersold how hard that is. Yeah, absolutely. How difficult that has to be for an actor.
0: It's, it's honestly like I can see why he took the role just because it's, it's the challenge of a lifetime for an actor. Yeah. Um, you you couldn't possibly have more of a challenge as an actor uh, because any in any other role you get facial expressions you get um uh, more pronounced movement um you get you get even just the subtle little reactions um and Pedro had to essentially had to do that all with moving his head and his voice
1: right. Yeah, even like just flicking your eyes or blinking at the appropriate time can add a lot of weight to what you're doing. And taking that away from him and still getting the performance that you get from him is, I mean, it, it's truly amazing what he's doing with the role. Absolutely. 100% agree. And then one other thing on Pedro Pascal that I just, it, and the only reason I even bring it up is because it just came up. Um, and I, I fell on the floor laughing. Um, so my son is watching through Game of Thrones for the very first time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we were watching through it together, and we just finished The Mountain and the Viper. Oh, um, yeah. Where Pedro Pas- poor Pedro Pascal gets his head crushed by the mountain. Um, but, but right before the fight, Tyrion Lannister turns to Oberyn Martel and he's asking, like, why aren't you wearing any armor or anything? and He's like, I don't need any armor. I'm fine. And Tyrion says, well, at least wear a helmet. <laughs> and it just kind of blows him off and moves on to like fighting the mountain but i'm just like oh my god i like i said i fell on the floor laughing and my wife's looking at me like i'm an idiot <laughs> because you know
0: oh yeah it's just what we do it's what we do here yeah of course <laughs> what, what whose wife doesn't look at them like they're an idiot exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh yeah that's fantastic that's it should be a meme uh, <laughs> yeah and I don't know how it's not like I don't know how <laughs> I, I tripped over that and nobody on the internet had informed me of that before I got there I think um their pro- wounds are probably still fresh so people aren't re
1: Game of Thrones right now that's fair it's yeah Between that and (laughs) it's really hard to watch those episodes because again Pedro Pascal was just so good and you only get him for like four episodes. Yeah, in Game of Thrones, and it's like this is not enough.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I remember being devastated by that too. Just like looking like he had the mountain beat and then just like oh nope, just kidding. Skull crushed. Uh, (laughs) Whoo!
1: Devastating, Uh,
0: especially as a fan of Tyrion.
1: Right. Yeah, seeing where that might where that was. Potentially going to go. So,
0: All right. Anything else for the Mandalorian?
1: That is all I have on the Mandalorian. All right. I'm super excited about season two.
0: I oh, me too. Outwork, chomping at the bit. I bought a three year subscription to Disney plus, so I'm all in. <laughs> um, <laughs> next up is our segment called infinite playlist, where we're dedicated to talking about our most recent favorite things and how we can share those with others. So Adam, what are you loving right now?
1: All right. So I've got two things I want to talk about. One of them is the thing that I'm, I'm loving right now. And the other one is a thing that I love all the time. And there's just kind of some news with it that I really kind of want to go through um, and talk through on the podcast. Cause I just think it's, it's something that might be of interest to our listener base. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to start with that one. So I, I've talked about it before, I think. Um, but I'm a big audiobook guy. Um, I spend a lot of time driving for work. I used to drive um, basically an hour and a half one way to work. So I was listening to a lot of audiobooks. Um, and I stumbled across an audiobook of The Martian by Andy Weir. Um, it was a movie with Matt Damon in it a few years ago. Um, it took off at the box office, a huge thing. Um, the audiobook was recorded by a man named R.C. Bray. And it is the best performance of any audiobook I've ever heard. And I listen to a lot of audiobooks. books. Um, he, he plays every character in the book. He sells it the whole way through. He's, I mean, it's, it's really, really well done. Um, I mean, he put himself on the map by doing it and he put podium publishing on the map by doing it for them. Cause they're the ones who have the rights to the book and it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was seven years ago. It was in 2013 that the audiobook was recorded. Okay. Now, what listeners may not know, and what I had no idea about either until I just recently saw it, is audiobook licenses last exactly seven years from the date they're applied for to the date that they so they end is seven years. So now the 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 license on The Martian has, is up. And Podium Publishing has decided to cash in on this by selling the rights of the Martian audiobook to Audible. Hmm. Okay, big deal. It's going to be on Audible now. You'll be able to get it easier. It's a win for anybody who's wanting to check out the Martian and hasn't for one reason or another. Um, But because they're selling off the rights to it, They are retaining the original recording by R.C. Bray. So that Mm -hmm. will no longer be the recording that you get of The Martian. Huh. Which is, it's weird. It's all politics and it's all money is what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, Audible is not willing to pay R.C. Bray to re-record it. So they have recast The Martian audiobook and Will Wheaton will be playing that role. Huh. Um, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how all of this plays out in the long run. Yeah. Uh, and being as big a fan of the Martian audiobook as I am, I'm very nervous. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah, I bet. I've I've heard Will Wheaton do audiobooks before. Um, he did the audiobook for uh, Ready Player One,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and he does a fine job. So it'd be interesting to see. I just thought the whole. The legality of it all, and how all that works was uh was interesting. It was something that i didn 't know um, and being as big an audiobook fan and podcast fan as i am it 's interesting to see that that 's how that 's how something like that can play out with really no involvement from anybody other than the publishing house
0: yeah yeah, yeah that 's crazy um, i didn 't know any of that stuff either so um, i'm i 'm not I don't have a ton of time to listen to audiobooks I mostly do podcasts on my long drives but uh, yeah that's the uh, sometimes those licensing things are crazy
1: yeah so I just yeah like I said I just thought it was interesting I thought it was a oh, yeah. Uh, yeah for sure know, something something unusual um, but for for what I'm living right now for what I'm I'm fully vested in right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Sorry. I keep kicking things. And I thought I broke something. Um, <laughs> so what I'm fully vested in right now is I have gone back and I'm rewatching for like the fourth time, um, cowboy bebop, uh, the anime. Yeah. Originally released in 1998. Mm-hmm. Uh, here we are 22 years later and it's still just as good as it was back in 1998. Um, if you're not familiar with it, let me familiarize you. Um, twenty six episodes; they're half hour episodes. Um, it's a pretty standard anime. I mean, you've got all the anime stuff that goes into it. Um, mm-hmm. It's about bounty hunters in space. Uh, I'd have to check for sure. I wouldn't say it takes place in like the year twenty seventy one or something. Earth's uninhabitable. Yada yada yada. Um, what really makes it so great, though, is the characters are really good, and the soundtrack. And the sound editing and all of that is really what ties all this together. Mm -hmm. Uh, The, the audio is done by a man named Yoko Kano Mm -hmm. uh, who, I mean, obviously with uh, sunrise films and all that over in Japan, but they uh, it's really every episode has its own theme, has its own kind of agenda. It's, it's pretty procedural for, an anime um, but the music in every episode is what it's different in every episode they go through and they meticulously pick out tracks and all that for every single scene and every single episode to make it an experience that I've, I've never gotten from an anime. I've never gotten from another TV show.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it really is something that I can't oversell is the music for it is just stellar Um, And like I said, it's only 26 episodes, um, and you can watch it, watch through the whole thing in, you know, a day and a half, two days, Um, and you'll get, I mean, it's a really good, there's a really good overlying story for the whole thing, because you get some episodes that tie into what's what's Spike's deal, or why is Faye the way she is, or why is Jet Black, you know, so grumpy all the time. You get some of that stuff. and You get these character building things. But there's also some episodes that are just fun for the sake of being fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's really – I really can't recommend it enough.
0: Yeah, so funny story. Um, I'm not much of an anime person, and I've never seen it. But it's funny that you mentioned the music because um, when I was in high school, our pet band adapted the theme song from Cowboy Bebop. Oh nice and so i'm I'm very familiar with that song in particular <laughs> uh, and the composer, and it's just we uh got really into it you know we it was playing all the time in high school, and we played it with our pet band, and it was fun, it was a fun song to play
1: yeah, it's um, a really catchy like jazz swing yeah it yeah, I could and see I, a pet band really getting into that
0: oh yeah, and it's I, as far as I know, we're probably the only pet band in a large area that's ever thought to do that. Uh, Cause it was, I think it was our director that arranged it. So they, we played it for him one day and he was like, Oh, this is cool. This would be fun. So, um, yeah, growing up as a sax player, I played the theme song to cowboy bebop many times. Nice. It's my fun little tangent for the day. <laughs> but, okay. uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, so I have, I'm, uh, trying to, shake mine up a little bit I've I've been doing a little binge watching and trying to clean house and stuff like that but um, probably the most exciting thing for me like as of right now has been the MLB hot stove like <laughs> the off season last year so if you the um <laughs> the season last year almost all of the major free agents were still free agents at this time last year so like Bryce Harper was still unsigned Dallas Keuchel Craig Kimbrell all of these big baseball names that were free agents were still free agents in on January 28th, 2019. And that, that's, we're recording this on 20, January 28th, by the way. Uh, so, but now almost all of them are off the board. It's been crazy. And it's so good for baseball to see that. But mostly I'm excited because the Cincinnati Reds have spent more on free agents this offseason than they have in the entire previous decade. And I am pumped for 2020 (laughs) because they've got a really good rotation. They've got a bunch of hitters in their lineup and
1: they're ready to do some damage. Yeah, I can see that. The Reds have made a lot of moves and I, I don't follow the, the moves like I should Um, being a Royals fan. There's not (laughs) I don't like to talk about baseball any anymore than I have to, okay? Yeah, I,
0: I, I can see why you wouldn't follow them, yeah.
1: Yeah, they've had a rough couple of years. Like, <laughs> I don't know, 35 of them. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. They, won, they won in 2015, didn't they? They did win.
1: They won a World Series in 2015. They lost a World Series in 2014. Um, that's been about it, though. Then They, they won a World Series in 1985.
0: Um. Uh, well, the last time the Reds won a World Series was in 1990, so um, I was one, and um, I'm ready for some exciting. They haven't been in the playoffs since 2013, um, and I, I'm excited for some uh, for some winning to come to Cincinnati. They've got a stacked lineup and stacked pitching rotation, and I'm I'm uh, they got a stacked uh, stadium giveaway lineup. For bobbleheads bobble and Funko Pops and I'm I'm marking them all on my calendar. Uh cause
1: I, <laughs> get as many of those as you can. That makes exactly.
0: Sense. Yeah, um so I'm just, you know, I've I've been excited before. Like last year they made a couple of trades that I was excited about, but I don't know that I've been this excited for baseball season to get started in a long time. So Yeah.
1: I could uh yeah, I could see as a Reds fan being pumped about that. Yeah, and the the other
0: teams in my division, our division, have done very little uh, to improve their teams, and so the Reds can, There's really some um, some higher places ripe for the taking for the Reds, yeah. and I'm excited about the possibilities.
1: Um, yeah, and it's it, uh, it's interesting to see that the the central division, the NL Central, is going to be tough. It always is. Yeah, uh, but with the Reds making the moves that they're making and you know the other teams being stacked though i mean unless you're a pittsburgh fan everybody's yeah. competing this year for sure i really think and it, i think it's going to there's going to be some chaos in in the nl central
0: yeah uh my conservative bold prediction is that the reds overtake the cubs um and you know like last year the cubs were in third place the reds were in fourth place so like big whoop right. um but the cubs you know they let joe madden walk away they let Nicholas Castellanos walk away to the Reds. The Reds have poached two big bats from division rivals. And, you know, and they lost less than 10 games, less than the, they lost. There was a less than 10 game difference in the Reds and Cubs records last year. So I'm, I, at the very least, the Reds are going to overtake the Cubs in this NL Central. But I have designs on uh bigger things yeah i uh,
1: st louis man that's what you gotta worry about right? <laughs> oh yeah
0: for sure if, uh, sh- but, if st louis
1: shows up all season i mean yeah. they win 120 games a year if, i mean if they wanted to
0: yeah well i would w- when there was rumors about nolan Arenado getting traded to st louis and that made me sweat for sure wow. but there's a, that's still the cardinals have done nothing to improve their team this offseason season. Like they are going into next year with essentially the same team they had last year. And the Reds are, are 10 to 20 times better.
1: They've, they've been very aggressive.
0: Yes. And, and they also, you know, Reds got Trevor Bauer mid year last year. So this year they also have a full year of Trevor Bauer and people are forgetting that they're like, Oh, you know, they signed a couple bats and Wade Miley big whoop. And I'm like, no, no, you forget. We didn't get Trevor Bauer until the middle of the year last year, right? So now we've got Castillo, Bauer, and Gray at the top of our rotation, and you know our back end of our rotation doesn't look too shabby either. We have one of the better bullpens in the league already, and now we've added two monstrous bats to our lineup, um, among others. So it's looking good. Looking good for the Reds in twenty twenty.
1: Yeah, my uh, my big bold prediction bold but conservative is that what you said for yeah kansas city is that they will only lose exactly 100 games this year <laughs> uh
0: yeah yeah they uh well last year they toted out homer bailey in their rotation so at least they got that going for them uh yeah they, they got rid of that guy
1: uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know it doesn't matter how much talent you put on the royals they still find a way to lose <laughs> Cause Like Soler, playing good ball hitting i don't know how many home runs he hit last year but he i mean he He's hitting for power. Doesn't matter because middle rotation or whatever, middle relievers are letting up six yeah. runs a game. And I mean, any it's just uh, not going to help. It's not going to make things better. Nope. It's not going to make things worse. But. Right. We lost 112 games last year,
0: but then you'll probably get the first pick in the draft. See. You know, so in 2021, you'll get a number one draft pick. So yeah, that's look
1: forward to. Right. So he <laughs> could be in, whoever they draft can be in the minor leagues for 11 years, and then we can trade him away for another prospect, and then he'll go win 75 games for somebody else.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah. such as baseball.
1: Right. I I just it's looking at the talent that Kansas City Royals have had over the last. 10, 15, 20, 30 years that they've traded away before they really got, like hit their stride. Like Johnny Damon was a Royal. Yeah. Carlos Beltran was a Royal.
2: Mm -hmm. Like
1: they started their careers in Kansas city and then they got traded for, I I don't know, like cash and, you know, two extra bats or something. Um, And not like people who could hit, but like actual physical bats. Like, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. (laughs)
0: yep that's uh sounds about right
1: yeah (laughs) new ownership this year for kansas city so we'll see we'll see how that factors in
0: yeah so if the new ownership comes in then you know uh like with miami you might be looking at a couple of lean years but then uh i i like miami this year like uh, they've they've improved that team leaps and bounds in this off season um and that just comes from having some flexibility now that the Derek Jeter's torn everything down.
1: Right. So and they've, Yeah, and they play in a consistently inconsistent division too. So that's gonna that's only going to benefit them long term. For time. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, you get um, the Mets who, I mean, who knows what the Mets are going to do. The Phillies, they're good when they're good. They're not when they're not. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to see. I think, I mean, putting money on Miami is not a bad idea.
0: Yeah, uh, I've seen crazier things for sure. And every, every decade or so, Miami comes out of nowhere and wins a championship. So. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then they tear it all down again. Um, okay, so moving on to our final segment. It's time to bust out those ecto coolers and dunkaroos for our segment called I Heart the 90s. A time to reflect on all things nostalgia from our favorite bygone era. So for this segment of I Heart the 90s, Adam and I have chosen to discuss the 1995 classic film Heavyweights. Heavyweights was directed by Stephen Brill, uh, who also directed Little Nicky and Mr. Deeds later in the decade, um, written by him and Judd Apatow, uh, which
1: is maybe surprising to hear. That, that surprised me more than anything else out of the credits. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, it's, it was a very early on thing for Judd Apatow, and it stars uh, some '90 staples like Ben Stiller, but also uh, Tom McGowan, uh, Paul Feig, Aaron Schwartz, Keenan Thompson, Sean Weiss. Um, the last three are all also Mighty Ducks at some point. Um, and then smaller roles for for bigger names like Jeffrey Tambor, uh, Jerry Stiller and Tim Blake Nelson. So Adam,
1: what are your thoughts on heavyweights? Uh, you know, we, when we first were talking about what we wanted to do, what we wanted to talk about, I was like, Oh, you know, I remember heavyweights. Um, it's on Disney plus it's great. You know, I remember it being this like fun, lighthearted, um, like movie when I was a kid, mm-hmm. that is not the film that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, This movie was a lot – and I don't know if, like, I'm just – I mean, obviously, I'm different than I was in the Mm -hmm. 90s. Yeah. um, But this movie is not what I remembered it being. Um, It's still fun. It's still, you know, reasonably well written. And, you know, it it has a positive message Mm -hmm. eventually. Yeah. (laughs) But we spend a lot of time digging through some stuff that we could not – put on screen here in 2020 um yeah to get to that positive message so I, I thought it was in, it was interesting to go back and watch it and see kind of what uh what we could get away with in the 90s that we can't get away with now
0: yeah yeah for sure um one of the things I, I noticed on the watch through is that it's there are definitely some uh some pretty heavy edits some Disneyfication going on um so I wonder if that plays a role in it, just that, um, like, I know there's one of the, jo- one of the jokes is overdubbed in um, when Josh says, no nobody see more butts than you, Uncle Tony, all of that is overdubbed. And so like, and so I looked online and there's, there's a dirtier joke there. Um, and so, you know, and then it's written by Jed Apatow and it all makes sense right um and so there's part of it that's just like some of it some part of it feels off i think because um it was not judd apatow's original vision or that maybe it was made and then disney purchased it or maybe disney was like yeah go make it and then oh we can't air this right um we need you to change all this stuff but um you know, so there, there's still, like, the, the, real, the 90s comedy, the stuff that I love about it is all still there. Um, and I do have questions about whether this movie could get made today. But I do think that there's, there's merit to it. You know, like you said, we, they do eventually get to that, that, like, body positivity message, that it's, it's okay to be who you are, you know, not to be unhealthy, but to be, um, to love yourself, And so I don't don't think that should be glossed over either. Um, And we do eventually get there. Yeah. And I wonder if the pacing just feels off because of some of the stuff that's, that was cut from the movie or, you know, when things are overdubbed or there, there was obviously some, some changes that happened. Right. So I wondered if, if it feels a little more like I, I read online and I don't know if this is true, but like that Pat and the nurse you know, start to you know get closer a little sooner, right? Uh, in the in the original version, and so that I think that would help, um, just to show a man who's
1: confident in who he is. Um, so, yeah. and I can see some of those changes. Then like, that may be the issue. Maybe we may be talking Game of Thrones season eight all over again. It's just pacing. Yeah, uh, but I, I felt like there was some stuff even beyond just like the overall like body positivity message,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, even into like them kidnapping and torturing Tony Perkins. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that's... We, we, we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, and, I, and I know it's done in a lighthearted way. And yeah. I know like, I'm probably being overly sensitive about it. Yeah. But I just, I I have to look at like, what can we put on a screen right now? And there, there are things in this that would not make the cut that they would not let you put out there at this point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely a product of its time. Um, and before, you know, Disney was paying so close attention to every th- every little detail like they are with star Wars now. Right. Um, but, and you know, it's, it was never like a, you know, crush it in the box office kind of thing anyway.
1: No, this is one like, you're not you're not going to the theater to see this. You're picking it up from Blockbuster every other Friday,
0: right? And it was oh, airing on the Disney Channel and and UPN and and right. Um, <laughs> like the first time I saw it was on TV when I was homesick. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't go to the theater to see this, but I wouldn't have been allowed to in 1995 because um, <laughs> I was six. Right. Uh, <laughs> but you know, so. But uh, one of the things I love about 90s movies just in general is just their, their sense of humor and their, um, for lack of a better term, their,
1: their gumption, their ballsiness. Um, right. To do, I mean, yeah, to do the things that you could only get away with in the 90s.
0: Right. Well, and it's like we talk about this, the body positive message at the end. But, and, you know, when Gerald's flying to fat camp, he meets Keenan Thompson and he goes, he goes, you going to fat camp? no why because you're fat <laughs> right. is that your dad no why because he's fat too <laughs> uh, like, like and it, it's, it's funny but it's also like oh man i don't know if he could say that today
1: right uh, <laughs> and i don't know if that says more about films in the 90s or more about political correctness in the, the yeah. new decade
0: um yeah and i i don't know that either but there's there's definitely and just some there's just some like silliness and that's, I love a good silly movie. And so, um, you know, i I watched it with my brother last night and, and we had a good old time. It was, it's great. <laughs> uh, just reliving our, our memories and and our favorite lines, like, uh, don't put Twinkies on your pizza. What did we learn from this? About that. Because, don't put know,
1: Twinkies says- on your pizza. He says, "Don't put Twinkies on your pizza." But I mean, <laughs> I really think he might be onto something there. <laughs> like uh, pizza is in, and oh yeah, there's no better dessert than a Twinkie.
0: That's true. Yeah, the uh, chocolate syrup instead of marinara sauce and Twinkie instead of pepperoni. Man, that could be the next big thing. Yeah. Twinkie
1: slices, I
0: <laughs> or I Twinkie crust. Them uh <laughs> stuffed crust but stuffed with cream like twinkies um yeah i mean i i saw several of those scenes where they were uh, the scene where they were going on the binge and i was like i'd like to do that once uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's never it's again but right i would i'd like to do it one time um and one of my other favorite things about this movie is is uh the character of Lars uh, yes yes <laughs> So one of my favorite one of my other favorite scenes is when they uh, they uh, they come to the to the woods and they say so we find out that if you don't have a job you get deported so are you with us or are you against us I am with you <laughs> I love you <laughs> that's
1: that's easily my favorite part of the whole movie right? and I Lars <laughs> is fantastic. The way they treat poor Lars, you like, really got a feel for Lars in in that moment and the one right before it, where he's being attacked. But the-
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> if attacked uh, is the right word, he does such a good job. And I
0: also like that he's just like he's just loyal to whoever's being nice to him at the moment. Like right. uh you know, as soon as they beat Tony, he's like. Well, I want to be on these kids side. Right. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, he's, he's probably my favorite character uh, just cause he's got so many of those great bits. <laughs> they have them on the body system <laughs> uh, and uh, oh, gosh, I love Lars so much.
1: The scene uh, where he goes to the nurse. He, I, I can't remember her name, even though uh, I just finished watching the movie. Um, but, <laughs> Julie. Julie. Yeah. 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 When he's like, Talking to her on the dock, and he's like stretching the whole time, and she's like, "Yeah, okay, cool, Lars again, every, every scene he's in is fantastic, and i I didn't remember the movie as well as I thought I did because I didn't remember he was a character until he showed up, and like all of it came flooding back to me. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm in for Germany goodness for and yeah.
0: well, that's the only thing I ever quote regularly is "Don't put Twinkies on your pizza and Lars, you know that're all of Lars's lines I'm, I'm always reciting those. But uh, yeah, it's from that perspective, it's just a really fun movie to watch. Like it's right. oh, it's yeah. definitely, There's- it's a perfect fit for the I Heart the 90s segment just because it's it's so 90s and it's like, it's definitely not like a, like I'm going to show, I could show this to my kids and they're going to be like, what is wrong
1: with you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> my 17 year old sat and watched, like I watched half of it like two weeks ago and then I finished it tonight and my 17 year old sat here and watched the back half of it with me. Um, and afterwards he's like oh okay that was a thing (laughs) like like, it was great wasn't it?" he's like okay sure
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah sure dad whatever you say
1: whatever yeah whatever you say goes i guess i just
0: (laughs) (laughs) so i also had this thought while i was watching it that since there's like revivals and sequels and stuff now are in what would a sequel to this look like and i was like and it's actually like not that hard to imagine uh, you know, they have a camp reunion or whatever and and Pat's been running it for however many years and he's retiring. And you get, uh, some of them have lost weight and some of them haven't, you know, and they, and they come back. It stopped being a fat camp and just started being a camp maybe right. after the events of the first movie. Um, so I, I was like, you could actually probably pull that off if the first one wasn't so, if it wouldn't draw so much attention to the first one. Um, right. and and the first one's lack of political correctness
1: right the hardest thing about it is getting like if you wanted the cast to come back for it for whatever reason mm-hmm. like can you lock down Kenan Thompson right. like I know he doesn't have a lot going on or Ben Stiller or ben, I think Ben Stiller would come back for it I think you could get you could get Ben Stiller back for it
0: mm-hmm.
1: but also like
0: I think it'd be harder to get some of the others because, uh, you know, like Aaron Schwartz gets pretty regular work, but, right. um, like Paul Feig mostly directs now and Sean Weiss is kind of in a tough spot. Last I read, um, yeah, it's like homeless and on drugs. Um, but can you like,
1: have you seen Aaron Schwartz? Like, yeah, he, he, he's not doing any movies about fat kids anymore.
0: Right. That's, all I'm that's saying. what I mean. Is is uh you know it would have to be like uh I'm really even Keenan is is slimmed down quite a bit. Right. Um. So it it would have to be like a like a centered on a camp reunion and and you know some of them have grown up and just grown. Several of those kids were not obese. They were just growing into their bodies. Right. <laughs> um. In the movie, and I maintain that. Um. But. So I, I kind of think it would be interesting, and I I think it yeah I think it would be harder to lock down some of the people who haven't acted. You know, the guy who played Lars has barely done anything since Heavyweights. Um, it would be harder to get some of those people than it would be to get Keenan Thompson and Ben Stiller. Right, it's just a matter of tracking them down. Even right, um, and
1: I, you don't want Jeffrey Tambor in your movie now. Um, <laughs> but but. Just while we're on the subject of Jeffrey Tambor, how wonderfully Jeffrey Tambor was he in this movie? Like, (laughs) I'm just Ben Stiller, and he's like, you're not very nice.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Every line he delivers is so... It's so typical of a character that he plays in everything I've ever seen him in. (laughs) Like, you put... I mean, you put George Bluth out there, or you put whoever he pointed is and you're gonna get the same result oh yeah for sure
0: uh some things never change and uh <laughs> jeffrey Tambor's parts just got bigger for a while uh <laughs> but yeah so i really love this movie and i i just had some thoughts about the sequel while i was watching it so i thought i'd bring that up
1: yeah but, I, I think it'd be it'd be great to see a sequel to it um i don't know how you pull it off
0: yeah, and I don't think it's ever going to actually happen. Right. But oh. I was like, I'd love to, you know, cuz they're they're rebooting the Mighty Ducks as a TV series, right? And so I'd love oh. to just see some more attention. Did you not know that? I did not know that. Um for Disney Plus, I
1: believe. How um, wonderful. And I was just thinking like, you know, if you were going to do heavyweights as something else, maybe you get like a like a Disney Plus television show kind of um like what was that? Camp Awana or uh, um, the bunked? Whatever that Disney's doing now mm-hmm. with like the the Jesse spinoff. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think you could do something like that with heavyweight and maybe get away with it. But no, they're doing that with Mighty duck. I did not know that, so that's really exciting.
0: Yeah, so I mean, we on a previous episode that you did, we talked about the Sandlot and how they're doing a TV series of that, um, and that's more like a sequel, I believe. Um, where they're trying to get the original actors back and they're going to put their kids in it. Right, which I'm I'm very excited about. Yeah, and so the Mighty Ducks sounds more like a a reboot. Um, So, like, not the original cast, but I felt like that would be hard. Um, So, you know, so that's kind of what – I kind of have my train of thought that way. Like, oh, man, you know, I think about Mighty Ducks and – and Sandlot and Heavyweights, all in the kind of when I'm thinking about the same things. And right. Several of them share actors, and and um, they're all made in the in the same time frame. So um, Disney Plus could house all of that stuff. Anyway, this is just thought I had, but uh,
1: yeah, I'm so, definitely here for it. If Disney <laughs> Disney's if Disney's willing to put it out there, I'm willing to consume it.
0: Yes, yes. Me too. Um that so you you hear us, Disney? We want a heavyweight sequel.
1: Yeah, Disney, if you're listening, heavyweight <laughs> sequel, don't mess up the Mandalorian. <laughs> somebody um somebody better be taking notes at Disney Home that's Office right, right
0: That's right. Um they'll be one of our twenty or thirty listeners. <laughs> um
1: <laughs> uh, anything else you want to add about heavyweights or or uh final thoughts? Um no, I just think it's uh it's, inter- it's an interesting perspective on the '90s. Um, it's definitely something that, if you've not seen it, go back and take a look at it. And or if you, even if you've seen it back in the '90s, you haven't seen it for a while, go back and take a look at it. And just, I mean, it's interesting to look at through a new lens. Um, yeah, for you know, sure. I, I think there's some. I mean, there's some stuff in it that's just really, really well done, really funny. Um, there's some stuff that's really not. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, you know, blackmailing, blackmailing Lars to get <laughs> ready with deportation. Funny, yeah. but also not that funny. Um, yeah. Almost a little bit too, you know, too on the nose
0: for America yeah. 2020. Yeah, for sure. Uh, maybe wait until the next president and then uh, Pitt. Pay- <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh,
1: who knows? But yeah. all the Ben Stiller stuff in this is, I mean, Just outstanding. He's typical Ben Stiller. Um, I I think they really missed the boat not making Dodgeball a sequel to this. (laughs) Uh, You know where? Yeah. He goes off and starts Globo Gym, and you know. For sure. I I, I think I think there's some potential there. Yeah, Um,
0: maybe he just changed his name. Maybe it is. That's what it was. He was so. The Perkus name was ruined, so he changed his name to White Goodman and and uh, became. The dodgeball guy. The dodgeball guy. I nine years to later. With <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. I would like. To see, speaking of movies, I'd love to see a sequel to Dodgeball. Yes, um, but you know, I'll keep hoping. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So that'll wrap us up for this episode. Um, please tune in on whatever channel you wish uh, on Anchor, Spotify, Google Play iTunes, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I've also launched a new website, nicksinfiniteplaylist.com. Um, and it's going to, it's got an RSS feed of the previous podcast on the side. And I will be embedding each podcast in its own blog post uh, going forward. So um, I'm, there's nothing really on it yet, but I'm working on some blog ideas um, and I'm going to be posting podcast episodes there and YouTube videos on the occasion that I have them.
1: So go ahead and send it to your homepage
0: now, people. Exactly. Or at least subscribe to that RSS feed. If you don't subscribe to the podcast, Um, leave a review. It really helps. And uh, thanks for
1: coming on, Adam. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime you want to do this, I'm willing to talk about any kind of nerd, geek, media stuff that you've got available. So I'm here for the long haul, man. All right. So I'm sure we'll do it again soon. And uh,
0: thanks for stopping by. Tip, tip, tip.